Today, I'm so excited about having a conversation with an insider, the president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker, about the state of the United States. Please join us for this discussion as we zero in on the question, is the United States still the land of the free and home of the brave? A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. Let's talk about the state of the United States. Is the United States the home of the free and home of the brave? Is it still free? Uh, it is not free. It, uh, in fact, we had some of the worst lockdowns in the world, and we've not recovered from them yet. On March 13th, 2020, the National Security Council was put in charge of our COVID response. And I do think that was a, a, a striking departure from everything that Americans stand for. Uh, the Bill of Rights became a moot. The courts didn't function. Uh, we weren't allowed to go to church. Uh, we couldn't. We even had internal travel restrictions. Like nothing that ever, like this, had ever happened in American history, where suddenly rights and liberties just didn't matter. And the extraordinary thing about that is that while all these controls seem to be gone, the locus of power has not shifted back to uh, a citizen-based uh, government again. Or the the administrative state is still solidly in charge. And they can do that to us again, and much worse if they want to. And there's very little efforts underway to fix this problem. So Americans really do have a sense of the, having lost control of their country and lost control of their destiny. The old patriotic songs we used to sing about uh, home of the brave and the free and all that stuff it just don't seem to resonate anymore. And there's a lot of hopelessness in, in this country. It's a broken culture, a broken society with a broken political system. Wow. And, and we're headed straight to a uh, recession right now. So uh, it's it's destined to get worse before it gets better. Jeffrey, I know that you have very much uh, not only an American perspective, but an interna international one as well. So um, if I may ask you, what, why did Canada, nations such as Canada, among so many others, mm -hmm. go along with this kind of... Um, mimicking in many ways the u.s reaction to COVID 19. Like, uh yeah it was, and I, I i think you described it well it was a mimicking of the u.s i mean once the u.s did this then it sent out the signal to states statesmen all over the world you should do this too mm -hmm. and that's a major reason why latin america locked down and a major reason why canada and then finally britain uh, locked down mm -hmm. uh, really uh, just a, just unbelievable calamity. Well, from my perspective, seeing Canada go this direction, and for that matter, Australia and New Zealand too, a lot of the Commonwealth countries uh, did this, uh, was really disappointing because, mm -hmm. um, because you know, Canada has typically avoided all the, uh, the bouts of political hysteria that you see in the U.S. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Canada was, was a great refuge for, for people during the conscription years of the Vietnam War. That's a lot right. of Americans went went to Canada because so Canada had this reputation for for be, being a peaceful country, 
mm-hmm. had a lot of weird frenzies uh, where you you, right. you had freedom and rights. I mean, sort of the the social the more welfare state policies and mm-hmm. you know socialized medicine that sort of thing. But You're just generally, Jeffrey. Yeah, generally respecting people's rights. So to see Canada go this direction was was kind of devastating. And then Canada. Uh, uh, you know, kept the lockdowns longer than the U.S. Mm-hmm. and and actually became you know, more extreme in its violation of civil liberties and civil rights and freedom of speech. And we saw what happened to the truckers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that was devastating, I, I think, for, for me and for, for many people. Americans look to Canada to be a normal country, mm-hmm. you know, a, a happy, peaceful place where everybody's nice, and where weird things don't happen, you know, <laughs> that's why Americans think of Canada. It's quite remarkable uh, that perspective. So, speaking of the um, the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy, um, what kind of impact do you think that made in the United States and and elsewhere? Well, it had a big impact on Canadian uh, uh, culture. I know this because all my Canadian friends tell me that that really did break the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there's not been any admission that the the truckers are right all along, mm-hmm. um, it did it did shatter the sense, you know. And they, they had a great deal of support, despite what the polls said. There was a tremendous amount of support for the for the truckers. And in the U.S., I mean, the, the truckers, you know, had a huge popularity here in the U.S. too. So it had a big impact. So in many ways. You know, the truckers just kind of, you know, sent up a a, a warning to the whole English-speaking world that you know we're not going to put up with this stuff. That we're regular working men and women, and and you're taking our rights away, mm-hmm. and we're not going to go along with it. That that was a very important turning point, I would say, um, for for the U.S. Uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the truckers did attempt some rallies in the U.S., but uh, not as successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially, the reason for that is that there was so the, the crackdown in Canada was so brutal, particularly the confiscation of assets and the freezing of bank accounts and that kind of stuff. A lot of a lot of Americans just got scared. So, yeah. but I think, I think uh, when the right. history is written, the Canadian uh, the the freedom the 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 freedom protests of the truckers in Canada really did kind of it was a turning point. A real save they were the saviors of the world. They took a lot yeah. of of uh, risks. Uh, but they did it for reasons of principle. It, it's really, truly inspiring. And, and I think it's also kind of amazing because, ironically, the, the Prime Minister um, instituted these mandates on independent truckers, and there didn't seem to be any evidence or issues with health concerns with them. Uh, to yeah. this day, we can't find any. Mm-hmm. And clearly, in retrospect, it's very clear that there were communications showing that this was a kind of a cynical dare I say, political wedge strategy to try to vilify a certain group of society um, so that you could then further position the prime minister and their government as being safeguards of, of public health safety, when in fact, yeah. that's not what, what it was about. It was, a, it was a political strategy. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of um, vilification of, of that population was incredibly unjust and i think that's that was also another wake-up call i think for many canadians and people around the world quite quite frankly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i assume there's going to be some political fallout from this in fact we have we've only begun to see the political fallout i mean i I think trudeau is not as popular as he once was but it's more than that 
Canadians and Americans are deeply suspicious of the entire administrative state apparatus and what their plans are for mm-hmm. us for, for the future. So uh, I, I think the political fallout from this thing is we're just beginning to see it. I mean, they're not going to make it go away. They can't yeah. make it go away. That's I was right. at a, a rally uh, yesterday for uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., who's thrown his hat into the presidential mm-hmm. uh, He's already polling at 14% among people who uh, voted for, for Biden and wow in uh, 2020 and his speech was very compelling the the the, there were three thousand people there and they couldn't have fit anybody in if they could have it would have been ten thousand or twenty thousand people there it was very powerful and he's making the covid response really at the very center of his campaign and 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 trying to bring back you know a sense of you know uh old-fashioned uh you know 1950s 1960s style american patriotism Mm -hmm. So there's a lot so of people. Robert are not Kennedy Jr., who's announced his presidential campaign just recently. Um, so you would see him as as um, an interesting candidate within the Democratic Party today when he's polling at, you said, 14 percent. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's just going to go uh, up from there. He's very articulate and he's uh, he's he's seeking a vision that a lot of people uh, are, are really rallying around, which is to you know stand up to the bureaucracies, take back the country from the administrative apparatus, bring home the troops, uh, 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 start caring for the, for the middle class instead of uh, conducting these policies that only benefit the very rich. It was a very compelling speech. It lasted nearly two hours. And uh, the whole room was <clears throat> electrified by his, by his presence. Isn't that something? Yeah, so you know, we, he could be leading a, a real revolution within the, the Democrats too. I mean, the, we 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 tend to forget this, but average Democrats do not support what the Biden administration is doing. Sorry, can you repeat that? I think a lot of Canadians would be shocked to hear that. Yeah, <clears throat> the Democratic Party is very uh, diverse, and it doesn't just consist, as as Robert Kennedy said, of neoconservatives with with woke bobbleheads. That's why he put it yesterday. It was a hilarious <laughs> line. And most Democrats, you know, love their country and uh, support uh, uh, the working uh, working classes and poor in the middle classes and just want uh, their rights and freedoms back. So, um, you know, the, the RFK's entry into this into this race is enormously disruptive. I mean, he's the son of Robert Kennedy. He was shot yeah. in 1968 and the nephew of John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. who was shot in uh, 1963. So he's got, you know, a little bit, he's got the, the look and feel of a crown prince, really, in mm-hmm. a monarchical sense. Mm-hmm. And and um, he's he talks a very good game. I mean, he really is very impressive. And he says that his campaign is all about, you know, uh, the truth instead of the lies from the mainstream media and the government we've been getting for three years. So it's very compelling. And, uh, you know, I think we still have some semblance of democracy in this country, as far as I know. And his, his, his uh, election could, could really take off. Um, now, he's been attacked, you know, brutally by the mainstream press. But, you know, that same kind of thing played itself out in uh, 2016 with Trump. And Trump won anyway. So, you know, if, could that same thing happen to the Democrats? I mean, maybe. We'll see. So one of the revelations that we found through this um, last few years has been the world of uh, censorship and the censorship industrial complex, if you will. It's really quite stunning. 
So to cut to the chase, so Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and all the associated Twitter files, did Elon Musk buy a crime scene? Uh, well, he what he found, he thought he was buying a business, and instead he found that it was a, a surveillance tool for the government. You know, he just couldn't believe it. So he ended up you know, firing 80%, four out of five employees. Isn't that are, remarkable? Are, are, just, are just gone from the place. And he's doing his best to turn it into a free speech platform. It's really the only mainstream social media that's not completely crawling with FBI agents at this point. Mm -hmm. So, no, it, you know, it, it, I, I think most people, um, I, in my anecdotal conversations with, with so many Canadians, I think many people are frankly not aware of this censorship reality that at the yeah. core of it, based again in the United States, you have most of the social media platforms deeply censored, uh, search yeah. platforms, everything. And then you have the mainstream media, which largely beams into Canada. So a lot of Canadians get a, a steady diet of mainstream media, let alone from their own media that has largely been funded by um, the federal government. You have a great deal of censorship and, and manipulation of virtually everything. It's, it's really quite stunning, isn't it? Uh, and, and Twitter is now the only mainstream platform that that is not subject to that level of, of control. And I hope it lasts. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because it's just it's just it's glorious, actually, to to remember what it was like to be able to say something, you know, and not not get censored for it. But that censorship is pervasive on every other platform, whether it's LinkedIn or, or Facebook or Instagram or any of the rest of them. Google is is wholly uh, captured at this point. Yeah. So th this is a disaster for the for the for the for big tech. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, we didn't know going into this whole thing just how closely tied big tech was to big government and big media. You know, and now we see them all as uh, united in in a in a in a, in a pro censorship. You know, sort of uh, uh, propaganda uh, effort. Just a big hegemon designed to control the public mind. Uh, I mean, will it work? Um, I, I don't know, uh, maybe, but 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 we'll see. I mean, people are starting to get really educated about this now in ways they weren't three years ago. Mm -hmm. So just to recap there, Jeffrey, is that you've done a lot of research into this, as, as others are rapidly, but the, the infrastructure involved is, what is it, 18 um, military and industrial... Um, actors have have really been censoring across this network it's it's really quite major yeah. in its scale and and sophisticated uh how sophisticated it really is isn't that yeah well you know free speech is really important to a functioning democracy if they shut that down everything else all your rights and liberties are gone so that's why the american framers put free speech as the very first amendment in the bill of rights it's the most important Precisely. thing that's right. And there, we've got a lot of, 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 of litigation taking place right now. People are suing the government for, for what they've done over the last few years. And, uh, you know, we'll see if it's going to be successful, but it very well could be. And if that happens, that would be great. My, my concern with these lawsuits, I'm really happy about them, is that they don't seem to be scaring uh, the government or the other social media platforms very much because they're continuing the same old practices that, mm -hmm. they, that they started three years ago, and those still persist today. Well, and, and this is what I was going to ask you about, Jeffrey, is that it seems like things are speeding up 
on the other side instead mm -hmm. of backing away from um, more state control they're increasing it mm -hmm. uh, instead of backing away and and kind of coming forward and saying gosh we're sorry about the mistakes about COVID-19 um, gosh we're, we're sorry about um, all the censorship that we've employed from top yeah. to bottom no it's a doubling down of these efforts yeah. isn't it? that's right and 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 the consequence is a mass loss of trust um, in, in all of our institutions. Uh, and this is going to con continue until these people admit error, but they never will. So you've got right now a kind of an establishment in, in, all, in all countries, the U.S. and all Commonwealth countries, of, of a great deal of distrust uh, towards an establishment. They know it. So they're getting scared, you know. They're they're afraid of of public anger at this point. So it gives them ever more reason to crack down. Mm -hmm. So we're really at a turning point, you know. We're 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 really at the point of. Uh, I feel like I'm quoting RFK from a speech yesterday, but uh, you know we have to decide, you know, what kind of people we are. Do we have rights and liberties and a normal functioning democracies, mm -hmm. or are we just going to plunge into this dystopian world of, of mass surveillance and and population controls in which. Uh, the the real rulers are not people you elect, but uh, but the very rich working with uh, deep state administrative bureaucrats to destroy any semblance of democracy, the rule of law. That seems to be what's going on. So this is the this is a real turning point for for all countries. I mean, we have to decide uh, like right away, or else it's going to be too late. No, I agree. So we really are at a turning point, a, a fork in the road, if you will in terms of what kind of nations we're going to be in. And it really begs the question then, how do we renew our countries, um, keeping in mind those those kind of foundational assumptions that have made our countries so successful, like the rule of law, for instance. It's 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 yeah. truly remarkable. Well and the part of the pathway is, you know, speaks to your comments earlier about the about the truckers. You know, they they, they were uh, passionate enough and naive enough to stick their necks out and stand up for for right and wrong for 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 truth, and uh, they were enormously successful by any standard. So you know you, you're going to have to have this more and more. These people just, just saying, "Look, um, I want to hand off my the country of my birth to to my children uh, that's still free and functioning and prosperous." Uh, and and if I if if and I in order to do that I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take certain actions. Um, I'm going to have to really start caring about the future and be hopeful that something can change. Um, I see that there will there will come a tipping point uh, politically in both Canada and the U.S. and around the the, the entire West, uh, where we're going to have to stand up and say no to this uh, to what's happening to us. Uh, if we don't do it now. Um, you know, uh, we're we're going to be we're going to be doomed, and and we see uh, the way the BRICS nations—that's you know B Brazil and and uh, China and Saudi Arabia and um, uh, uh, and Russia—all kind of coalescing together to create uh, a, a real trade zone and to be and to sink really the U.S. and and Europe and, and Canada and, and Australia into uh, into oblivion, and and that's really where we are right now. And and for the first time, uh, it seems like they can actually succeed. So we've got to get our act together, uh, like fast. And the way to do it 
is it's not too complicated. We just have to rally around the core principles that that have built these nations uh, into powerful, functioning, prosperous democracies in the past. You know, the Constitution, the, the bills of rights, and the rights and liberties uh, that we've all taken for granted for so long until they decided to take them away from us. So, so the economy and all the associated pain with it, Jeffrey, could be a real wake-up call for society to say something mm -hmm. is wrong if they don't know that already. Uh, right. And now, uh, historically, when you enter into, you know, with a politically divided country and a shattered people uh, who are in very ill health as a result of lockdowns, uh, going into an economic uh, uh, inflationary depression at the same time, that usually doesn't end well, you know. <laughs> so oh, this is this is the worry. So this uh, is why we need yeah. a really good leadership uh, right now. And we do have those people out there. I know Canada has uh, some good leaders, political leaders that are in the wings. You know, they're mm -hmm. marginalized and attacked and denounced mm -hmm. by the mainstream press, but they're good. And, and the U.S. has uh, several voices out there now with Ron DeSantis and uh, 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 RFK now. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it's, it's not enough, it, but mm -hmm. it's a start and at least gives some measure of hope. An important point that you referenced was the state of the Democratic Party in the sense that it is very different than a Democratic Party that many Canadians would, would think of it as in the past, like the party of JFK as an example. Mm -hmm. So the party, as you described it, if I was listening carefully, you said is almost like an extension of the managerial state. What did you mean by that? Uh, the party elites, the Democratic National Committee, has been basically a marionette, uh, uh, just a cover for the public sector unions and the administrators of, of the government. And that's what it is at the top. Now, at uh, the grassroots, the Democrats still believe in things like freedom of speech and defending the working class interests and uh, in favor of, you know, spreading prosperity mm -hmm. to all classes and races and that sort of thing. But at the top, it's just become entirely captive of, of major corporations and, and technology companies mm -hmm. and big farm above uh, everything else. This makes a lot of Democrats really very uncomfortable. You know, you think of, during my lifetime, the Democratic Party has never been allied uh, so closely with big business. Mm -hmm. that's, that's completely different from what it used to be. Another thing that's really affecting the Democrats right now is uh, uh, what's called woke uh, ideology. You know, mm -hmm. the, the rallying around all these cultural uh, uh, hot, hot button issues like trans rights and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, telling, telling regular Americans that they can't be proud of American history, that the founding fathers were all monsters. You know, all this kind of extreme left-wing uh, rhetoric that's mm -hmm. never been part of the Democratic Party. Uh, the Democrats are the party of, of, of Clinton and, and Carter and JFK. You know, so this is, they're having this, this, this new perspective on life. It's, you know, woke ideology. So the, the Democrats could be the next party that would be disrupted in a, in a similar way to the way the Republicans were in 2016 when Trump came along mm -hmm. and, by, and basically wiped out uh, the, the Reaganite uh, uh, attitudes uh, of the past. He reshaped the party according to his image. It's very possible the same thing could happen to the, to the Democrats if we still have democracy and if public opinion still matters. We've examined so many areas around the state of the United States from media to censorship and 
freedom of speech, rights, the economy. The word tyranny comes to my mind. Um, I think of John Locke's book, The Second Treatise on Government, and if memory serves me correctly, in, on uh, chapter 18, there's so many references around um, tyranny. Are we, are we tilting towards, and I'm, I'm trying not to sound too dramatic or, or indeed yeah. depressing, but are we tilting towards a tyranny, Jeffrey? Well, I don't know what other other term to to use. I mean, despotism, uh, uh, le- Leviathan by by big tech, big media. You know, I mean, there's a lot of terms that you could throw out there, but mm-hmm. it's inconsistent inconsistent with any traditional understanding of the word freedom. I mean, the John Locke's Second Treatise on Government is is a great book, and everybody should read it. What you'll find in there is the first template for the uh, Declaration of of Independence, where you know uh, Thomas Jefferson and his colleagues. Uh, just said flat out, when a government doesn't serve the people's interests and they've sent, you know, swarms of bureaucrats to eat out our substance, we have the right to change that government, to abolish the existing structures and to put in place new ones that are consistent with uh, God-given rights. That's that's what Thomas Jefferson wrote. Indeed, yes. He wrote that based entirely on his reading of, of John Locke's great book. So these are the kinds of books we need to revisit and 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 uh, and act on and believe in again, indeed. So as we look to the future, as we look to renewing the myriad of institutions that need to be renewed, uh, that we've talked about, what are the recommendations for actions that we can all take, particularly citizens? Um, I, you know, I think the most important thing that that regular citizens need to do is to learn to. Uh, uh, take care of their own their own lives and their families and their communities first. That's more important than any political action. Getting involved uh, with uh, uh, your local merchants, uh, giving them your business, uh, you know, uh, uh, making friends at your houses of worship, really becoming very uh, active at the at the local level and talking to people, frankly and truthfully, about what's happening to this country. I mean, we've got a chance right now. To maybe make a difference and stop this this inexorable uh, decline, but it's only going to happen uh, with people working together and talking to each other and having open uh, conversations, not isolated uh, uh, lives where you're sitting at home alone on your laptop all the time. You need to get out there, uh, support your local merchants, uh, 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 talk to people, and forget about these partisan divides of the past. Yes, we're always going to find points of disagreement, but surely. Uh, as as people of the West, we can agree that we, the people, should be in charge of the government and not the reverse. And if we can just agree to that, we'll have taken huge steps to disable the Great Reset and to maybe give us hope for the future. Well said. Jeffrey Tucker, I'm so glad that you could join us and we could have this far-reaching discussion about the state of the United States. And thank you so much for your research and leadership in so many respects. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.